Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this day. And uh, just to remind you, next Sunday, we're going to be able to be back here in person. And so I trust if you feel uh, comfortable with that, that you will go through the procedure. And we look forward to seeing your faces again. I know that for some of you folks, I haven't seen you for a year. And it's just killing me. Uh, but it's great to, to see you. We look forward to being together again. Well, we've been in a series of messages entitled Heaven and Hell, the truth about the afterlife. Now, people overwhelmingly believe there's something in this world after we die. There are big questions about what that is. And so we've been on a quest to find out what the Bible says about some of these issues. And we started on a journey with God as ruler, God as judge over the whole uh, universe, and how every one of us will stand before him as our judge. And we, we will, though, on, on the basis of our deeds, he will judge us. And we know that when he judges, uh, it will always be fair it will always be complete. It'll always be without prejudice. It'll, it'll be truthful. It will serve justice. And uh, so that's where it starts, with God as our judge. Uh, we, we then looked at what happens when we die. And we understand that there's an intermediate state where the, the soul and the spirit leave the body and, uh, and go to one of two places. Uh, either with God or without God. And, um, and then last week, we looked at the question, what would it take for us to go to heaven? How can we know that we're on the right uh, course, on the right track to go to heaven? Um, and, and so as we think about this, we think about uh, God as judge, that there's a trial, there's a verdict rendered, there's a sentence handed down, and then meeting out the justice and judgment of God. And so today we're looking at a, a difficult topic. Uh, we're going to look, we said the title of the series is Heaven and Hell. Now most of us when we're asked, we say, uh, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And most people say, well, let's get the bad news out of the way first and then we'll focus on the good news. And so that's what we're going to do uh, today. Uh, we're going to get rid of that bad thing and talking about it first. And uh, also, you know, we'll just, we'll take our, our medicine, our bad medicine, and realize that God uh, has something for us. Uh, a Catholic theologian uh, and philosopher, Peter Kreeft, said this, Of all the doctrines in Christianity, hell is probably the most difficult to defend, the most burdensome to believe, and the first to be abandoned. Now, hell is not the topic that a lot of us want to talk about. In fact, some of us as Christians may even be embarrassed about hell. The, the whole notion that here is this God that's supposed to be so loving, and here he's meeting out judgment and justice from his wrath that will last for eternity. And, and so uh, consigning people to uh, painful punishment. And so a lot of people have taking that in and saying, you know, I just don't like it. So I want to I want to rethink, I want to recast how I look at all of this thing. And so there are other views that people have. 
And um, you know, some some people have bought into an an annihilation kind of mode. That what happens to us is after we die, God just annihilates us and we're out of existence. Um, that's not what the Bible says. And another one is universalism, and that's been uh, very popular too. That no matter who you are and what you've done, there is no hell really, and you know everybody's good. I don't know, I've sat through a number of uh, funeral services for people who, who had no use for Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form, lived a life that was absolutely contrary to what he was, and, and I've sat in some of those, and not that I can be judged, God is the judge, and, and hear perhaps a clergy member saying, oh yes, what a wonderful person and so and so is now in heaven with God and with all of their family and their relatives. And, and, and so it's just a universalism. All, everybody goes to heaven, so to speak. Um, there's some thoughts of a revised kind of purgatory that has come through the Catholic uh, train of thought in in, Chris, in Christianity, and uh, that, that after death, you may have some sins that need to be purged and paid for, and so you go through this time of purification, and then at some point in purgatory, you'll be, find entrance to heaven. And there's some people that just say, well, God's love, you know, wouldn't allow any of this to happen, and so it, it's you know, God, God's love will reconcile everybody, no matter who they are or what they've done or all the rest of that. I don't know, it's, it's tough to conceive, though, uh, how things would be uh, with people who have been unrepentant, who have committed terrible, terrible, awful crimes over and over, hurting people, raping, murder, uh, what all the, the, the worst things you can think of. And, and the question comes back to us, is there no justice? And, and we see so often with things that happen that aren't right, and there's a cry from people uh, for justice. They want justice. Well, we're going to talk about this. The interesting thing is Jesus didn't shy away from this topic. In fact, he spoke more often about hell than any other writer in the Scripture. It involved 30, 13% of his teaching was on that kind of theme. It was also uh, half of his parable, parables have been on hell or judgment or the wrath of God. The, the amazing thing is that in all of this, Jesus is the one who's epitomized love, who was the greatest example of the love, who gave himself uh, for us uh, and, and paid the penalty for our sin and was so abused and all the rest of it. That Jesus is the one that says more about hell than anyone else. And I want to tell you there's no joy for me in speaking about this topic today. Uh, there's, there's no, nobody should have some kind of sadistic pleasure in God's judgment. That, that is just so wrong. In, in fact, uh, people, people really need to think of this and talk about this with sorrow and sadness and with tears. Uh, because we're talking about friends, family members. We're talking about co-workers and neighbors and people that we rub shoulders with day in and day out. Well, we want to today uh, look at and, and see 
What is hell like? And to do that, we're going to, uh, we're going to appeal to the scriptures. And so uh, the, the first thing that I want to show you is this. If I can get that slide up, please. Let's see, I'll see if you, you can get that. Well, I'll just keep going here. Um, the first thing that I want to say is, as we talk about hell, there are some things that are hard for us to understand. And uh, what I want to do uh, with you today is, um, I want to first tell you that most of what we get on what hell is like comes through apocalyptic literature. Now, this is a special kind of literary genre, a special kind of literature that first century people understand really, they understood, they got the message right clear and clean. Um, the book of Revelation is one of those places where God has for us um, uh, given us information that's couched in some really weird stuff that may be hard for us to understand. Um, the book of Revelation well, it's, it's a book that is in part a letter because it was sent to seven churches. It's a prophecy because it's telling us future things as well as, as things uh, current. And it's also um, an apocalypse. And, and so apocalyptic letter, let me just kind of help you understand this a little bit. Uh, the book of Revelation is this example. Apocalyptic literature talks about the end times the last things. It's a, a divine revelation from God. It's otherworldly. It's supernatural. Uh, it's got angels and demons and rewards and punishment. And it comes from God, often through an angel sharing with us or, or through um, a, a human being. And, and it speaks uh, to a, a very uh, chaotic time and crisis that's going on. And it's to give hope and strength to see that God really wins in the end. The trouble is, it, it comes in such a, it's couched in terms and images that are so weird that we oftentimes are scared away from this. For instance, let me, let me tell you that in Revelation 9, he's talking about something. It looks like a locust. Uh, and, but it also, it was a locust, but it looked like a horse. It had a head on it, and it had lots of crowns on that head. They were all of gold. It had faces like a human, and hair like a woman, long hair. Um, it had teeth like a lion. It, had, it was a beast with an iron plate protecting himself. And uh, it had the sound of horses all running, just thunderous hoofbeats happening. And it had a tail that was like a scorpion, and it could sting people. Now, if this is like some weird sci-fi thing that you, how do you even make sense of that? And yet, um, the people in the first century understood the meaning and the, the intent of what these were happening. So listen, listen to... Here's a, a little taste of Revelation 19. Listen to this. John says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse 
whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He'll rule them as with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come and gather for the great supper of God. Isn't it, you know, weird stuff. So what I want to say, what I want to say by all of that is to say this, we've got to be careful how literal we take some of this. Now, obviously, God wants to communicate something to us about this, but we've got to be careful. Uh, some of these things were never meant to be taken as... Uh, as uh, for face value what they are. They represent something else. And so we'll go through this and, and I hope come to better understand what God has for us. Um, to reveal the future, he sends a letter to seven churches and he tells them what's good about them and what's not about them and what he wants them to do. But we come here, and uh, we're going to find out first, as we go through Scripture, that people in hell have physical bodies. So we think about when we die. We said the other week that the spirit goes to be with the Lord. The body goes into the ground or is cremated or it's lost at sea or whatever it is. Um, but... Listen, listen to what it says in John 5, 28 and 29. It says, Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, Jesus' voice, that is, and come out. And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will, be, will rise to be condemned. He's saying that there's a, a, a universal re, uh, resurrection. Some will be to life, because they have loved and trusted and followed God, and some will be to death. Listen to what it says in, Roma, in Revelation chapter 20, in verses 13 and 14. It says this, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire, this is the second death. Again, raised those who, who were dead at sea. Somehow God is going to give them a physical presence, unite their soul and spirit with that, and uh, that's what will be judged is a person who's going to go to hell, will be a physical person. It's just not that the, it's not the soul only that goes. We were always created to be um, to be physical beings. And so when, when we die, the soul spirit leaves, but we will re be reunited with a resurrected body. Now, may I suggest this to you? As we look at 
heaven next week, we'll find out what God is going to do with our bodies and how incredible and how wonderful it will be. May I suggest to you that in the judgment of God, that the bodies that we will have in hell will be bodies not like Jesus, not like we will get, which will be like Jesus if we're believing and trusting in him. There won't be a glorious body like Christ, but it'll be a body that can be subject to pain, to degradation, to problems, to, to difficulties. And, and, and this may be terrible to think about, unthinkable really, and yet that's the, that's the state. People will be for eternity with physical bodies in a place of torment. You say, that torment that he talks about, they cast into the lake of fire. Is that, is that literal fire? I, I can't tell you. I can say that with this language, it may be reflective of something else that God is using to punish. Uh, we have to be careful with some of the language and what it stands for. Uh, but to be sure, this is an awful place. This is a terrible place. This is a, an awful state to be in. And, and, uh, and a very uncomfortable, uh, very uh, difficult existence. Well, secondly, I want you to notice this, that the punishment in hell is fair and proportional. You know, we said that when God judges us, he's fair. And, and here we find out that in hell, actually everybody doesn't have the same punishment. They're punished according to what they've done and what they've been exposed to and those kinds of things. Listen to what Jesus says um, in Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. You imagine the miracles that Jesus, people raised from the dead, uh, people who were lame, never could walk, or walking, all the, they saw this stuff, and Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles were performed, and you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you, and for Capernaum, you will be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. God is always fair. Even in his judgment, he's fair. Uh, and he bases this on people who have had exposure to the gospel. People who have seen the, what God can do and has done. Uh, this is people who have been privileged. Uh, the God has poured out his goodness on them. This is in Romans uh, 2.4 that uh, the kindness of God is supposed to be something that draws us to him. But the goodness of God means nothing to them. They, they just spurned that. And, and those who had had more revelation... People who had heard the gospel over and over and over again. And some people who have sat in the church for years and years and years and never put their trust in Jesus Christ. People who have been prayed for and, and people who have shared the good news with them. Uh, people whom the Holy Spirit was pressing in upon them and they said no. Some will have a lot to answer for, but you, we want, to, want you to know that God is totally fair 
and everyone will be judged and their, their punishment will be meted out in a, such a way that it reflects those uh, kind of characteristics. Thirdly, God's presence is not in hell. God's presence is not there. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut, listen to this, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Well, what's going to make hell hell is that God won't be there. What makes heaven heaven is God is there. Wherever God it is, is it's heaven. Wherever God is not, it's hell. And, and so he says the, 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 they'll be punished in this way, that they'll be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Uh, what, makes, what makes this uh, so, so bad is God has shown his goodness and his blessing to all people. In Matthew 5, 40, 45, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, you have your, you have your plot of land, and God brings the sun, and God brings the rain, and the rain, here's the, here's the, the just guy, the righteous guy, the guy who obeys God, and, and the rain comes along, and, and God showers his, his piece of land and his, his fields, and then the than the guy who has no use for God. And, and God didn't just turn off the clouds. He poured out his goodness on them. And, and uh, so that, he, 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 hasn't, he hasn't forbidden, but he has blessed everybody in that way. God, by his Holy Spirit, is also reigning in wickedness. Um, you may not have run across this in the Bible, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, it says this, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. There's something really interesting here. And it is this, that the Holy Spirit God has working in this world in such a way that he is withholding a lot of wickedness and evil. He, he's, he's holding it back. Now we look at our world and we see that there's a whole lot of evil and wickedness everywhere. And, and, but he says, God says that at some point that he's going to take away that presence of the Holy Spirit and what he does and this man of lawless, lawlessness is going to come and he's going to just tear everything apart. You know, it's interesting that as, as tough as our world can be, there's a whole lot of goodness. Theologians call that um, common grace. Here, the Holy Spirit is holding people back why, why do people, why are, are some people who don't have any use for God, but they can still be kind at times? They can be great parents and caring people and, and all the rest of this. But in hell, God is going to remove all the presence of good in that way. And when his presence is not there, uh, evil and wickedness will proliferate the good and the beautiful and the gracious and the kind and the, the love that God has that we can even see here in, with non-Christians, all of that will be gone 
What a sad and tragic place that will be. Well, it'll also, you'll be estranged from others in hell. You'll be estranged from others. I told you a couple weeks ago that uh, a, a relative of mine was speaking to his brother, and his brother said this, talking about the things of God. He said, I'm not interested in going to heaven. I don't know whether he has in view a little, a little pudgy naked cherub who's playing a harp and floating on clouds or something like that. He says, I want to go to hell. That's where all my friends will be. Well, before you want to bite on that, before that you want that re request, I want you to listen to what hell will be like. Um, it says this in Revelation 21 and 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. He says, you think you're going to get together with your buddies and put back some cold ones and, you know, watch a game and have fun and all of this. That is, that's not what's going to happen. You have wickedness running, running crazy. You have people who are so self-centered. They don't care about anybody else. It's only about them. Don't, you're not going to find somebody who will pity you, who will have compassion on you, who will help you or, or, or something like this. The worst of people are going to be your neighbors. The vilest people, the, the murderers, the, the, the people who, uh, who, who are, are just treat ter people terribly, um, the rapists, the mean-spirited people, the merciless people, the people who hurt other people. This is the kind of people that are going to be in there. Those kind of people God will not have in his heaven. But they're consigned to a place like this. And can I tell you that the lake of fire was never designed for us, for human beings? It, it, it was meant for not people, but for Satan and his angels. And, and the devil and the beast and the false prophet will be there. Uh, but God's presence will not be there. Don't be duped. There are no good Samaritans there. There are no... Uh, this is no party central. This is no let's get together with our friends and, and have a blast. There's no blast here at all. But what there is is there is sorrow, despair, regret, and anger in hell. Jesus was dealing with uh, people who didn't avail themselves of the opportunity to put their faith and their trust in him. He, he, he invited them to come to him, but they didn't take the invitation. And then when they came, he'd, he'd shut the doors. It was over. There was no more chance for them. And they said, let us in. You know, I mean, we used to hang out together. He said, I don't know you. And here's what it says in Luke 13 and verse 28. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself are thrown out. He said, what you're going you're gonna to be dealing with is this, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Why do, why do people weep? Well, there are many, there are many reasons people weep. 
Um, there, are many, there are many reasons that people gnash their teeth. But they're left to deal with the situation they're in. There's, there's suffering. There's probably physical suffering. There's mental suffering. People can be so plagued with, with mental illness that they can't function. They're, they're struggling so hard. And, and that's the kind of thing that can cause people to weep, to gnash their teeth. People who are sad and mourning, who know what it is, that the loss of loved ones, and they will, they'll, they'll have terrible loss here. They'll be grieving and despair and hopelessness. You know, what, you know what gnashing your teeth is? It's grinding your teeth back and forth. When do we do that? You know, when something is very painful, we gnash our teeth. The doctor tries to do something that's painful with us. Uh, there, there, are, there are elements of this um, frustration and futility, and you can never get to what you want. You can never accomplish your goal, and you soon begin to learn you'll never accomplish your goal. Things will never change for you. And so there's nothing that brings joy. There's nothing that brings satisfaction. There's nothing to make you happy. There's just this accompanying anger. I want out of here. Let me out of here. And I can't get out. Life in hell is so disappointing, so intolerable, and so miserable. And we're warned of that. The other thing that I find fascinating is this. There's no repentance in hell. There's no repentance in hell. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at um, the account of Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. They both died. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. The rich man goes to a place of torment. And he can see that Lazarus, who always had nothing, well, he had everything, and he, he, he wouldn't even dare to give him the scraps that fell from his, from his table. And, uh, and when we see the rich man now in hell, he's calling out, Abraham, you know, uh, Lazarus, I see Lazarus there. Can you get him? Send Lazarus to go and... and his dip his finger in some water and put it on my tongue because I'm, I'm scorched. He's like, he, he thinks that he can still run the, rule the roost. He, he can still use this guy. He was still in a position of authority. He, 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 drops, the, he drops the name and, and he, he says, oh, Father Abraham, I like, we're, we're, we're buddies. Like, we're the same people. No, no, you're not. You're not. And, and the rich man, he, he'd think he'd say, boy, I, I got it all wrong. I didn't do anything for this poor guy. I should have done that. Oh, God, forgive me. God, help me. God, be merciful to me. He doesn't say that. In fact, we don't see one account in all of Holy Scripture where a person who's been a reprobate has ever turned back after, after uh, the judgment. They don't, there's, there's nothing in them that wants, that seeks the forgiveness of God. He doesn't admit that he's done anything wrong. Go and get them to tell my brothers so they don't come here. It's terrible. 
They despise it. They hate it. But they don't go to God for mercy. There's no turning back. They are so settled in their sin. There's no second chance. The time for grace has passed. There's no repentance in hell. The thing, too, is that hell is eternal. In Revelation 14, we have a picture of hell from verses 9 to 11. Uh, and, and it says, He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, that's Jesus. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. He says this, it's settled, it's eternal. You know, the, the, thing, that, the thing that we recognize so often and the consolation we have is that uh, when we're in pain and there's some physical ailment and we go through a rehabilitation, something like that, we have the consolation that this is gonna, it's gonna get better. And if it doesn't get better and you're just doing terrible, you think terribly, then you think, well, I can, I can at least, my life will be over and that suffering will end. <laughs> but that's not how it happens in hell. There's no consolation. There's no reprieve. There's no cessation. And you may want to die, but you can't die. You may want to commit suicide, but you can't commit suicide. And you live in this way. And you have nothing to live for. And over and over again, it's the same thing. And over and over again, we hear forever and ever. Jesus' lips, forever and ever, and ever and ever. You say, well, is that, is that fair that people are judged forever and ever? I want to say to you, the sin and the rebellion is forever and ever. Therefore, the judgment of God remains on them forever and ever. Sad, tragic. But the last thing I want to share with you here, hell is a chosen destination. Hell is a chosen destination. Each one of us can make a decision for heaven or for hell. The New Testament is replete with examples of people who are invited to come to God. Jesus over and over has that. There's a, there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. Go on the narrow way. Come, come, find yourself. But many there be that go on the broad way. We, we look at um, Jesus has a banquet. It's a picture of the banquet that he'll have with his children in heaven. And he goes out and he says to his servants, prepare the meal and, and go out and call everybody to come. The, the banquet is ready. Come, accept his grace, accept his invitation. And uh, here, here's what happens. These, these people say, you know, they say, well, would you excuse me? Because um, I bought a field and I got to go check it out. Can't come. Somebody else says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I got to go give them a try. Someone else says, well, I just got married, so I kept, maybe, there's some, <laughs> maybe there's something to that one. Uh, but he says, I just got married, and I can't go. And that is it. The excuses. Another time. Another, you know, it's just not convenient now. And I, I, I see some 
some people who are younger and some people who are middle-aged. They want to live their life for themselves. And, and sadly, they say, you know, I, it's not that I'm Xing God out. It's not that I have no place for him. It's just not at this time in my life. I, when I'm older, when I've sown my wild oats, when I've done my thing, then, then I will. How sad that is. And, and people can be sincere. I remember I got a call from someone in one of the churches that I pastored. And um, I, I had uh, this man that I'll talk about, his, his mother and his brother and his sister, they went to our church. He would never go to church. And I got a, I got a call that he had a, um, a heart attack. It was in serious condition. And uh, he asked for me, and I went to see him in hospital. And he was so earnest. He'd not, he'd not lived for God at all in his life. And he took my hands with his, in his both hands and he said, pray for me. He says, well, if God brings me out of this, I'll serve him the rest of my life. And God did bring him out of that. He never came to church. It was, it was, it was he was gone. And hell is a chosen destination. We choose whether we want to or not. C.S. Lewis said, there are two kinds of people. There are people that say to God, thy will be done. And he said, God says to other people, thy will be done, because they've rejected him, and they're doing their own will and going their own way. And no one is coerced, no one is forced. An appeal is made to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, there's, no, there's no turning back. And we need to remember that that's the decision we make. God made a way for us to be forgiven. God made a way for us to be accepted, to have eternal life, to be with him. And in John 3, 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed. See, we think, well, because I have time. Well, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not really not believing. Yet, no, you can't sit on the fence on this one. You either are with him or you're not with him. And, and the choice is yours. And, and I would say to you, I, I would encourage you, Perhaps God has been stirring and tugging at your heart and you recognize how serious this is. And you maybe know that you've been playing the game and you need to get serious about this. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He opens his arms to you. He loves you. He gave his, God gave his son to die a terrible price so that that. that your sins would be put on him and that you would uh, be with him forever, forgiven and accepted. There's no middle ground. The other thing is you can't presume upon tomorrow. I told you I had a woman call me, says my brother has been given for the doctor uh, a week to live. Would you come and talk to him? I cleaned up, went, by the time I got there he was gone. Nothing to be done at that point. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. 
He goes on to say in the next verse, he says this, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. He says, what compels me is Christ's love compels me. When I see what Jesus has done for me and for us, how he gave his, whole, his life for us, and he gives us, he says, the, mystery, the ministry of reconciliation, that we would, we would call people and beg them, would you trust Christ? God wants to put this relationship back together. He wants, to, he wants you to come to him. And, and we have this ministry of helping to make peace with people and God. And I don't know about you, but I know lots of people who don't yet know Jesus. And God help us when we understand the severity of this, that out of love we reach out to them with the good news of the gospel.